let's take our time through Acts again, and we're going to come to the uh, the end of chapter 16, make our way from where we stopped and, and come to verse 40 at the end of Acts chapter 16, and talk about the power to break free and the power of the gospel. We'll see that last week as we, we saw the first part of, uh, of the chapter 16, we came there to verse 10, and as they're making their way, it says now in verse 10, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part, pardon me, of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So as God directed his, his missionary team here to Macedonia, they follow that, that call, believing it to be the will of God. They, they uh, follow immediately and make their way towards Macedonia, as God had, had called them to. And so, as you expect, if you, you hear that call at the beginning and that there, there is work being done by God in Macedonia, we approach the next verses with anticipation. You know, if God indeed called them here and they're following that call, what has he got in store for them? What is there that God is doing? So the rest of, you know, of, of this and the rest of the chapter fills us with a, a sense of anticipation and encouragement because there must be a reason. And if God is leading them there, if God has called them to follow that, then there must be a reason. And so as we see in the verses we just read, they end up in Philippi, a major city of Macedonia. Not the major city and, and not the capital of the area, but certainly a prominent one in the area. So what that means is now that the gospel uh, reaches this way and we come up into Macedonia there where Philippi is and all that at the top of the, the Aegean, um, the gospel is now reaching into a new area. We're reaching into Europe. And you, as we, the journey progresses, we're going to end up passing down through uh, places down into to, to Greece uh, and, and so on. So the, the gospel is now reaching an entirely new place uh, from what we have seen before. So this, this, as we come here to Philippi, this is for the gospel and for the missionaries, this is a genuinely experiment of areas where there is significant Jewish influence. Yet we're going to see more Jews passing along, but we're now moving into an area where predominantly and, and other gods and other ideas and secularism are the main thoughts that are in society, and the Jews have a lesser and lesser part of an influence in the societies where they're at. We come into a, a truly secular world. Some commentators think that Philippi is, uh, is Luke's home, which is probably why he speaks so highly of it, because in Philippi was a well-known medical school, and they had trained doctors there, and then those doctors traveled all over the world. So it's possible that Philippi is, in fact, where Luke found his home, or at least where he studied because there now typically with the expanse of the gospel also while we see the power of god at work we also see the opposition of satan 
And we will see both of those at work as we progress through Philippi, which of course carries a number of stories that we're all familiar with. So let's continue reading our text this morning from verse uh, 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her, uh, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed or distressed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into a prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them to the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison and now do they put us out secretly no indeed let them come themselves and the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city 
So they went out from the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we encouragement and truths from your word, we ask for your blessing this morning, that we would indeed see the power of the gospel to break every barrier, to break every boundary, and to open hearts. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here as we look at this, there are three instances that we're told of that take place here in Philippi. Three familiar ones to us because they are so, uh, so enlightening and so exciting in what they do. First, we see as we come to, to the, the salvation of a woman named Lydia. We see here, as is said of Lydia, that the Lord opens our hearts. He opens our hearts. And he does so, as we see with Lydia, by opening our hearts to the truth. Now, I said before that we see here as we come into Philippi, we're coming into a secular city. And in this secular city, we're going to find a group who are seeking God. Some people who uh, don't really know God, they have some idea of God, but they are seeking God and not finding those answers where they're at. By tradition, the, the Jews required that there be at least, well, not least, but that there, yeah, there be at least 10 men, 10 Jewish men in any city or area for a synagogue to be established. So the fact that we are seeing here women gathering outside of the city by the river um, and not in a synagogue, and that as Paul would normally do, go to the synagogue first, suggests that in Philippi there are probably not 10 Jewish men in the area to form a synagogue. So we are in a very secular city, one where the, the influence of Judaism ha has not come. Lydia, uh, who is the first woman that we meet, wasn't a Jew, she is a Gentile, He's said to be a God fear. He has heard of God and is wanting to seek him. So she is a Gentile seeking God. She's a businesswoman. She is from Thyatira and has been living there, but now living in Philippi, probably for her business. So along the way, of course, this makes Philippi the most secular city that Paul has visited. The influence of Judaism isn't there, so the people are largely going to be ignorant of the Jewish background and the Jewish underlyings of what the gospel has. Now, in this city, uh, these Gentile women who've heard of God and are, are looking for him find a, a way and find him worth seeking. They find a way to worship. It was another part of the traditions of, of the Jews that if there wasn't 10 men to form a synagogue in that area, well, then what you would do is you would go outside the city limits, usually because there were some rules or restrictions from the that city about who to worship go outside the city limits somewhere near water so it could be by the the sea or it could be by a lake or a river the idea being by water was so that if there was baptisms that need to take place or rituals where they needed to use the water it was right there they were under the open sky to to worship and so that's what these women are doing. They've gone outside the city limits next to the river that ran out nearby, and that's where they would go every Sabbath to pray and to worship. Now, we don't know how she came to know God, where the influence came, or, or how she found out about Judaism or to seek God, but it's clear that she wants to know more because every Sabbath she is out there, and every Sabbath she is 
uh, worshipping and praying. They've been seeking for God together. Few of them have gathered together, and it seems that this is just a group of women here gathered together. They prayed, and they probably read the scriptures together. If they have a, a portion there, they can read together. And it's not out of the question, is it, to think that as they gathered together and as they were praying and trying to understand who God is and what God like, it's out of the as they prayed, they were asking God to help them understand and to send someone to them that could lead them and, and show them more about God because they just didn't have the influence. They didn't have the people around them to find that. So they needed someone birthday. God miraculously answers that prayer. And Paul and his team arrive. Now, Paul may have been sent into Macedonia uh, with a vision of a man, but that man in their vision clearly spoke on behalf of these women who were seeking God in that area. You know, one of the things, and we noticed this when we were in the Gospel of Luke, and as we have come through, through Acts, one of the things that is really great about Luke, and what I like about Luke, is how he has such passion to show the role of women within the church and within Christianity. Now, the Bible is, is clear that the positions of leadership in the church are reserved for, for men, but that doesn't mean that they have no influence, that they have no power. The power and the influence of godly women within the church and within Christianity is undeniably powerful. Estimate the power your life, men or women, in seeking God and the power that that can have on others. No prayer is insignificant. No person seeking is unimportant to God. They have been gathering. We don't know how long they've been out uh, on the river you know, each week praying. But here, God answers. And the great answer of God here is not that Paul turns up. The great answer of God here is that when Paul turns up, God opens their hearts and they believe in Jesus Christ. They find salvation. Their hearts have been opened, it says. It says there in verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God, the Lord, opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. They find salvation. In finding salvation, in the Lord opening her heart to salvation, we see beyond this how God opens the hearts in love. How it, it doesn't just open their heart to be saved, but then what that means to be saved and how that spreads even further. When it opens our hearts in love to, to live in hospitality. You know, her, her heart isn't just open to God. Her heart is open to God's people. And so we see that you know, after they've, they've spent some time on the, on the river and, and heard the gospel and, and Jesus Christ she begs them to stay with her, to come to her house, and she wants to feed them, and she wants her to open her house to them and show them hospitality. And it seems that she was persistent. At the end of verse 15, uh, Luke writes, so she persuaded us. So they, they said, she's, she's offering, they go to her house. And through the first church, the common bond in Christ unites strangers together in heart. These are people who 
haven't met, don't know each other, except for what's happened this morning. And already God is binding their hearts in love. She wants them to stay. She wants to learn. But in this uh, opening our hearts to love, not only do we see lives of hospitality, but we see a community of diversity built. As we look through and we see that you're beyond just Lydia and what happens here. This is the beginning of the church at Philippi. We know that by at the end of chapter 16, it says he met with the brethren, so they're already gathering. There's already a group of people gathering there. This is the beginning of the church at Philippi. And the remainder of the passage, so as we pass from Lydia into the slave girl and into the, 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 the jailer, shows us just how diverse a beginning this church had. The diversity reveals the power of God to break every barrier. And what's interesting here is, you know, we've already noted that we've come into the most secular city that they've been to so far. But in coming into this city, the gospel has broken all the barriers in that the three types of people that we first meet here in this church are the three types of people the Jews held in disdain. Women, soothsayers, and Gentiles. These are the people that the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with. But here, as the gospel goes into Philippi, these are the first three types of people that make this church. Women, soothsayers, and, uh, and Gentiles. Could there be a more unlikely gathering of people? We have one, a rich, influential woman. Then we have, who is, who is a God-fearing woman. Then we have a young girl who has been uh, rescued from demonic possession. And joining these two women is a battle-hardened secular soldier. These are the three types of people God binds together here at the beginning. And it seems, because as we get to the end of chapter 16, uh, Luke stops using the we, us, and starts using the they, them again which suggests that Luke probably stayed behind in Philippi as well. Uh, maybe being his hometown and, and seeing what's going on, he decided to stay for a while and teach and encourage the people. It's amazing that such a diverse group would gather, but what's more amazing is that such a diverse group would so quickly be bound in heart and bound in love. When you read through the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians begins with such love and such affection for the people there. It, it opens with this, this deep love for the church that is built there. Never underestimate the power of God to bind hearts together, to bind together strangers when he is at work. In opening our hearts to love, we see lives of hospitality and communities of diversity but also hearts of generosity. It seems, well, many churches that Paul would start because of the area and even Jerusalem and other places would struggle with finances sometimes and, and some of them were in poor areas. It seems Philippi did not have that problem. It seems they weren't a poor church. Philippi was a city of great commerce uh, and, and a lot of things going, going on there. Lydia, who we've just met here, is a woman of influence and wealth. Tells us that she's a, a seller of purple. Now, because purple, the way they got purple in those days, either from a particular plant, roots, or, or shellfish, meant that it was hard to get, which made it expensive. 
So purple was usually reserved for the wealthy or the royal. So when it tells us that she was a seller of purple, it tells us that she was, she was an influential and rich, a rich woman. She was, you know, we might call her now, she's a high-end fashion designer. So it probably wouldn't have been unusual for, you know, the, the high end of town in Philippi to be out on the town in one place. Oh, what are you wearing? Well, I'm wearing a Lydia. Uh, that's the type of, of woman she was uh, through the area. The spirit of generosity, though, seems to flow through them. In Philippians, in chapter 4, it seems to indicate that from the very beginning, so from this time here at the very beginning, the church was one of the very few churches that was supporting this missionary team from the beginning. They would send money off to Paul and his team so that they could continue to travel. So God had immediately opened their heart to see the need to, to support and give to this evangelistic effort in their hearts. So as we look here at, at Lydia, we see one that the Lord opens our hearts as the story moves on, and they spend some time in, uh, in Philippi and, and talking and spending Sabbath there, we come across the next event, which is meeting this young woman who is possessed by a spirit. And here we see that the Lord frees our spirit. The Lord frees our spirit, and he frees us from bondage. Verse 15 says, And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed me with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed or greatly distressed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Here we find a young woman who is bound by sin and bound by sinners. They meet this young slave girl and providence, as we talked about last week, is still at work. God is still moving. He has still got things going. And God seamlessly moves his purpose along. He brings them into Philippi and they uh, find their way effortlessly out to find Lydia, who has been prepared by God. And she finds salvation and they stay. And as they stay in the, the, the process of, of life there, they meet this young woman. God's purpose is moving along the tragic story of this young woman is is indeed very very tragic it doesn't tell us and we don't really need to know how she became possessed or or able to do this it says that she had the spirit of divination which is literally uh the the, the python spirit is what it means so the in the the area there was a a belief um a a myth that a serpent, a python, guarded the temple of Apollo. Uh, and then soon, because of how it worked, it soon came to mean that if you were possessed or something like that, you then uh, had the spirit of the python within you. And so people would, would speak and, and even um, to even ventriloquists 
uh, this demon was speaking through another person. Uh, and so that's what they, they thought here. So they, they believe that this young woman was possessed by the spirit that guarded the temple and uh, guarded the worship of Apollo. It's interesting, though, isn't it, though, as we, we think of that, how often the image of the snake plays in myths and religions around the world. Um, just a, a side note of, of thought on mythology. Somehow, though, somewhere in her life, she has made herself available to possession, whether by coercion or, or will, or we don't, we don't know. But somehow she has made herself available to possession, and Satan has had control of her. And sin and Satan are destroying her life, absolutely ruining it. And she is being taken advantage of. In every possible way that someone can be taken advantage of, she is being taken advantage of she is being abused not just by sin and not just by satan she is being abused by people these owners these masters she has they have bound her in a relationship of abuse they don't care about her they only care about what she can provide for them and we see that when she loses the the demon they are only worried that they have lost the income that this woman makes for her now, though we may not recognize such overt possession today, and I'm certain that it still happens, and though we may not see that overt possession today, sadly, our world is filled with young women and even men just like this, who are being abused in ways by sin and by Satan, and then have people who are eager to take advantage of them. In both the masters here, the owners, and the slave, we find that sin is really the, the truly cruel master at work here, mastering both of them. But we find here that while this woman, this young woman, is bound by sin and sinners, we find that she, can, she will find herself truly free and highly valued. It says that Paul is annoyed, but it's more than just annoyed. It's one of those words that's kind of hard to pin one word to because it's not just that he's annoyed, but that he's distressed. There is something about this, this thing that's been going on for a couple of days which is really eating at his soul. And, and uh, it's annoying him because it's causing a distraction from the gospel and, and things like that. But it's also distressing him because he can see the damage that's happening to this woman and what it's doing to her and to those around her. So it's having a, this event is having a big influence on the life of Paul as he tries to minister. Now, Paul doesn't take action just because he's annoyed. They, well, I just want it to stop. It's not why he takes action but he and want the situation to go away he takes action because he wants to truly bring glory to god he wants to see salvation expand he wants this woman's bondage to be broken he wants people to see that christ can truly free now god as he frees this woman from the bondage of this spirit god isn't interested in freeing this young woman because of what she has to offer him 
God is not just moving her from one bondage, from Satan and these masters, to his own bondage to get what he wants. He wants to truly free this woman. Let her know what genuine uh, freedom is. God frees her because she has intrinsic value. She is a woman who bears his image. She is his creation. She is the object of his love. It is for young women like this, like all, that Jesus died. So in Christ, she finds total freedom. And she is going to find immense value. Of course, having been freed from what she has known for probably most of her life, she's going to need practical support after this. And it seems that the church clearly looks after her and takes care of her from what we see. But only Jesus can free her. Now, in an interesting, perhaps ironic twist of fate, we see not only here that God can free us from bondage, but also that God frees our heart to worship. Because in this ironic and interesting twist of, of fate, if you will, Paul and Silas release this young woman from bondage and then find themselves in bondage. So the woman gets freed and they end up in jail. It seems, as verse 20 indicates, that the imprisonment of it is largely um, racially motivated. Just, these are Jews, which would probably answer the question, why is it only Paul and Silas in jail? Why aren't Luke and Timothy in jail? Because Luke and Timothy are both Greeks, Gentiles, whereas Paul and Silas are Jews. Uh, and so it seems that it's predominantly, while they are upset about while they've lost their money, it's, uh, it's got some racial motivation to it. So to answer God's call and to bring freedom to others is often going to cause us trouble, and it does for them. They free a young woman and help her find salvation, and then they find themselves in prison as a result. In a small way, we become substitutes. We're willing to be bound for others so that they can be free. Paul and Silas were willing to be bound in jail so this young woman could find freedom. We see it last week when, when Timothy was taken and circumcised. He bound himself in one aspect so that others could be free. We are willing to be bound, and so we may be bound as we serve God, but although we may be bound, we are free. Here's the great difference between being bound in one way and the other. Paul and Silas are physically bound. They are put in prison. They are locked in the stocks. They are physically bound, but they are not bound spiritually. It tells us in verse 23, and when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They are locked. They are bound in prison, but in prison their souls are free. Their hearts are full. They may be in prison, but look what God has done. You're, they, they sit in prison, and sitting in prison while locked up 
It led them to, to, uh, to a place to be able to, to think about what God has done in the days ahead. What has God done? God called them to go to Macedonia. And with anticipation and, and obedience, they follow to Macedonia, where they are brought to a woman, women who are seeking God, and they find salvation. And then while they're doing that, they have the opportunity to free a young woman who has been bound by Satan for probably her whole life. So while they sit bound in prison, they have an abundance of things to praise God for, what God has done for them. They're worshipping because they know they're in prison by the glorious will of God. This is why they've been brought to Philippi. As it says in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We can choose to focus on the trouble where we're at. Or we can look at the purpose that got us there and rejoice. What was it that got them into prison? Freeing others. And they were happy to be bound for that. So lastly, as the story moves on, as we move from, from Lydia to this young woman, and then we find ourselves here with them in jail, the Lord changes our life and proves that he is the most high. He proves his power. God isn't finished working yet. So while Paul and Silas are in jail there, God is not finished in his providential movings. He is not finished in what he has planned for in Philippi. He is moving each step exactly as he planned. He takes them to the women, and the women find Christ. They talk, as they talk through the city, they find this young woman who they free. And now they're in jail, and being in jail is not without purpose. This imprisonment is no different than every other step. While they were walking through the city, as, as the people were, were following them and, and listening, the woman is following behind them, and she is crying out that these are the servants of the Most High God who has come to speak of salvation. Now, that was a common phrase, the Most High God. So it was a phrase that, in one way or another, everyone was going to understand, but they were going to understand it differently. So some who worship one God were going to uh, understand it as being a phrase to their God and others. And Paul and Silas are going to clearly think of it as God. The, the demon clearly knows that it is the God of, of all. But everyone who hears it is going to be thinking of a different God, of uh, understanding that phrase in a different way. So as they're walking along and as this woman is crying out that these are the servants of the Most High God, the question then comes, because everybody's understanding it differently, who is the Most High God? Who is it that they're talking about? Is it the God of the people that are worshipping here or there? Is it Apollo or is it uh, uh, any of the other gods around the area? So what God does through Paul is he shows them that he is the most high God. The God that Paul and Silas are preaching is the most high God. He is mightier than any of the gods. He is mightier than Satan. This is why when Paul finally finds the, the, the time to, to cast the demon out, he, he doesn't use any other words. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ. What is he doing? He is proving that Jesus Christ is the most high God who is more powerful than any of the other gods. That's why Paul does what he does. 
so that the answer to the question of who is the most high God that they serve, the answer is Jesus Christ. That's what comes through that moment. Then they come into the prison and all the guards hear them praying and hear them singing. The people hear it. And while they're sitting in there and they hear Paul and Silas praying and singing praises to God, a great earthquake hits. Now, I'm told that in the Greek mind, earthquakes um, kind of represented to them the presence of God, that a God had come and shaken the earth for some reason. And so while we're told that the jailer, when everything opens and, and he wants to commit suicide because the people have left, there is probably also a very strong undercurrent there that he may be doing the wrong thing, that an earthquake has hit where they're at because dealing with these people of the Most High God is probably not the right thing to do. So God, again, is proving himself to be the Most High. God isn't just God, isn't just uh, in the lives of people who have a concept of God. In Philippi, God is showing the gospel has power to break every boundary, and he accomplishes his purpose. Every part of this event in Philippi, every part from uh, freeing the slave girl, the, the arrest, the beating, the worship in the, the cells, the earthquake, all of that is leading us to the pinnacle here in verse 30. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So from the slave girl and her owners bringing them to the magistrates, that's, well, from this point, step one. It's step one because Paul and Silas need to be in prison. And the reason Paul and Silas need to be in prison is that they can be heard to be singing God's praises so that God can be seen to be the most high. Why does God need to be seen to be the most high? Because there's a jailer in there that needs to know Jesus. Every step of the way, God is doing his work. He is accomplishing purpose to bring us to this point. Paul and Silas were in prison to reach this man. So he could find salvation. Every triumph and every tragedy is leading to glory. As we stand here in Philippi and we can look back and we can see moment after moment where God got us here. He leads us to believe. To see the power of God's work. Now Luke, clearly he just summarizes the event. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and your household. That's a summary, clearly, because Paul would explain the gospel to the jailers so they know what they believe. We know how Paul works. The gospel which is good not just for him but for his whole family. There is no doubt that God is working in every situation, revealing his power in the earthquake. Don't underestimate, don't underestimate the power of God's work through you and your testimony. Imagine how this moment might have been different if during that night, while Paul and Silas were in prison, they weren't singing and praying, but rather whining and complaining about where they were at. Feeling sorry for themselves because they were in 
the dungeon. The power of this event wasn't just the power of God at work around Paul. The power of this event was also the power of God at work in Paul. Why does it tell us there that while they were sitting singing, that the people in the prison heard them because it was being a testimony of the God who is above all? Believe Jesus. The answer, of course, to the, uh, the jailer's question in verse 30 is Jesus Christ. The most important question anyone will ever ask and the most important answer anyone will ever need to know. Believe Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus is the most high God who humbled himself, became obedient to death on a cross. He did this in love to die as our substitute. And in power he rose three days later and ascended to heaven. When we accept that, we find forgiveness of sin. We find freedom. We find salvation. Here in Acts chapter 16, we see the gospel pushing into new territory. God isn't slowed by our disbelief or the disbelief of where we're at. He isn't slowed by idolatry. He isn't slowed by imprisonment whether it be imprisonment to sin and slavery or whether it be imprisonment physically. None of that slows God or stops his purpose. It is all moving in his purpose. If you look back, what an amazing sequence of events, how God seamlessly moves from one moment to the next. Every, every bit has a purpose to get us to the next part and to the next part. Why? So that people can find Jesus Christ as Savior. Leads to a powerful gospel light here for years to come. This church would be reaching others, building lives for Christ. You know, last week we talked about when God changes your plans, follow. And this is the reason why. Because he's prepared something before you. Someone ahead of you. It's not always going to be an easy path, but it will always be a path of purpose. You may even find yourself bound physically, but no one can bind your soul. Pray. Pray for God to open eyes, to open our eyes, to meet our needs. God's answer is on its way. He has promised. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we come to it with anticipation, waiting to see what you have, have done, we see that what you do far exceeds our expectations. That in this moment, as Paul and, and, and his group travel there, they have no idea what an amazing and what a magnificent bounty you will bring through them for the gospel and for your glory and we pray that to be true in our lives that as we follow you as we share the gospel with those around us that we would see the work that you are doing ahead of us preparing souls 
to find you in salvation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.